Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, thank you for this day. This is the day that you have made for us to rejoice. These plans were set in motions even from the time we were in our mother's womb. And you calendar and schedule our life so that all things happen according to your purpose and time. You make everything perfect in your seasons. And so we pray that we would learn your seasons and we would learn your ways and we would walk in them and we would know God and be encouraged and strong in our understanding. Today as we study the life of a man who you called your friend, we want to understand what the heart is of a man who decides to listen to you. A man who decides to follow you. A man who decides to inherit the promises of God. And we pray that we would closely track his life, his footsteps, his sentiments. And in the midst of his imperfections, we see your perfect will come to pass. And we know that we have a hope that also, in our frailty in perfect ways, Lord, you're bringing about your huge, lavish plans upon our lives. So we pray that you give us faith that we might inherit the promises of God, that we, you might encourage our hearts and let us understand these, these matters in a way that we can have deep conviction of our heart, deep burden to walk in your ways and to inherit your promises. Open our hearts to your word. Open our thoughts to understand in your wisdom what you desire. And that we might inherit the glories that follow those who honor you and serve you and know you. Open our eyes, Lord, and let us see things that are wonderful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We talked about last week that Jesus is looking for a substance upon the earth. In Luke 18.8, he says, when I come back, and we've been talking about his imminent return... And he says these words, when I come back, will I find, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith upon the earth? Will he find the substance that God is looking for? What, what have we seen in our generation more than any other generation upon the earth? We've seen foolishness run rapid upon the earth, where people would rather identify with atheism and unbelief, a cynical philosophy that God is dead and he's not alive. Um, I was at a funeral home not too long ago and the girl says, listen, Joaquin, I know that we went to the same youth group together, but I've decided God is not real and he doesn't exist. I've come to that conclusion. So now I live without the fear of God, without going to church. I don't have to seek the Lord. And can you give me any evidence of the fact that he is real or that he lives or exists? I said, you know, her name is Odie. I said, Odie, we've been friends for a long time, 30 years. You used to be part of the youth group where we get to know the Lord at the age of 16. And you know me and I'm very blunt. And sorry for telling you that you are an imbecile. Because on only an imbecile would grab something, and I had my iPad in my hand. 
Do you agree with me that the iPad made by Apple is a fascinating product and it's in existence? And she goes, yeah, see, I could touch it. I know it's real. It's here. I said, well, you're saying that the person who made this thing doesn't exist. And that takes an imbecile. Because somebody created us and the person who made us that is far greater than the iPad, he exists too. And you're saying he doesn't. And that takes to be, you have to be an imbecile. The guy who made this thing here doesn't exist. And you're like, well, it just fell to, it fell, well, my God, you have to be a fool. Psalm chapter 14, verse 1, it says, the fool says in his heart, there's no God. So what I told her is biblical. A fool is a short, I, 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 just, I just researched it. Psychologically, if you go get, do an IQ test and you uh, become an imbecile before you become a moron and then you're an idiot. So these are steps of stupidity. And, and so a fool says in his heart, there is no God. And their advantage to say God doesn't exist is for the pleasure to do whatever they want. The Bible says they say in their heart there is no God, so they become corrupt and their works are awful. And there is none of these who say God doesn't exist that is not doing something that is away from the pleasure of heart. So what Jesus is talking about here is when I return, will there be people that are living according to my pleasure? Now you don't have to ask the wind. The word of God has been around for a long time and it has the heart of God in it. I've been reading this book for 30 years and it hit me aside the head the first day when it says honor your dad. And I didn't have a good disposition towards my dad. So God spoke to me right at the root of where my issue was. I was in rebellion. And so he took me to Ephesians 6 verse 1 where he says, Children, honor your parents in the Lord for this is right. Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. This was day one of God coming to my life when I asked him, what do you want? And I just opened up the Bible in a crazy place and it fell right there in Ephesians 6.1 and he hit directly on the root of my issue. I had no obedience towards my parents. I, I was bent on rebellion, on disobedience. And so he says, obey your parents. And verse 2 says, honor your father and your mother which is the first commandment with the promise. That means God in the heavens spoke to people on the earth, particular those people that have parents, and told them to honor these institutions. Now, I had a thousand million reasons why not to honor my dad in my own rebellion and disobedience. I was hurt. I was offended. But God spoke to me that it was the first of his commandments with a promise. And so if you read verse 3, you'll find out the promise, which is everything will go well with you and you'll live upon the earth for a long time. And I questioned, I said, what if I don't? And the Holy Spirit says, well, just flip those things around. You'll get the opposite result if you decide not to. And the opposite of everything will go well with you is that everything will go wrong with you. And the opposite of you may live long upon the earth is you're going to have a short span of time upon the earth. So I was convinced from that day forward, I would start honoring and obeying and listening to my parents. And let me tell you something. 30 years later, it's gone super awesome for me. And I feel, I don't know if I'm going to live a long time. But I'll tell you what. I'm excited. 24 hours a day. I live probably like 48 hours in every day. Uh, of, the, of the fullness of God's purpose and goodness in my life.
And then now with my children, I'm living a dream. I'm enjoying to see. Uh, I was telling my next door neighbor, I said, look, let me explain it to you this way. I got saved in my first year of college, last year of high school, more or less. That was the season. And if you go 16, 17, 18 years without the Lord, you are pretty much corrupt and messed up with a lot of weird things. My, I've tried to live a Christian life and made efforts in that regards, but my kids are real Christians. They're not trying. To them, it's natural. They were born into it. They love it. They love God. They love His Word. There's not, there's not just not one sentiment of rebellion or, or disrespect. I feel super honored by my boys and my girl. And, uh, and that, that's a joy for a parent. And so these substance of faith, this is what we're talking about. And Jesus says, when I come back to earth, what am I going to find? And, and he was right. There's a, there's a lot of people that have decided to, like my friend Odie, they come to the conclusion that the person who made them and has fashioned them in a fabulous, marvelous ways um, decide that they're not going to give them any credit. Hebrews 11.6 says, when you don't have faith, you're not pleasing God. Faith is not about pleasing oneself. And people say, well, I don't feel anything. This is not about what you're going to feel, my friend. This is about what God demands, that you honor Him, acknowledge Him, serve Him, worship Him. Because without faith, it's impossible to bring Him pleasure. For those who come to God must believe, first, that He's present, and second, that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. So a lot of people uh, have issue in that, in that regards. So... The Jewish people came to terms. There was a lot of confusion in Jesus' days. There was a lot of faker, a lot of pretenders, a lot of posers, a lot of fraudulent faith people, uh, counterfeit, if you will, who were not believing in miracles, who cared less for hell and demons, who had no appetite for resurrection and seeing the life. But there were people that wanted to have a moral compass, a spiritual compass, and the only thing they could point back to is the men in history that did have faith, that did believe in God, that did walk with God. And they, they challenged anybody who would tell them otherwise that they had genuine faith because they were connected to that man Abraham. And so John chapter 8 verse 39, when Jesus came telling them about his purposes, um, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our connection. We have genuine faith because we come out of the seed of Abraham. That was genuine faith. That was a man who believed God. This goes back 5,000 years, 6,000 years in the book of Genesis. This man Abraham walked with God. He heard God's voice and began to pursue God's pleasure. In a time where his parents didn't know God, his grandparents didn't know God, the surrounding culture was, was Babylon who worshipped everything but the true God, uh, God the creator. They, they began to lift up all sorts of altars to false gods. But Abraham heard God and began to... And so this is now the Jewish culture telling Jesus, we're legit and genuine because we are... Our, our, Abraham is our father. And so 
Jesus responded to them and said, If Abraham, if you were Abraham's children or offspring, you would do what Abraham did. You would, you would live like he lives. Verse 40, Jesus being a little bit controversial, but you're seeking to put an end to me. And I'm only speaking you the truth which I've heard from God. Abraham did not do this. In other words, Abraham did not persecute those people that represented God. Um, I believe somewhere there, Jesus gets even more intentional to let them know they're off track when he speaks words to them. Verse 42 If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceed forth and came from God. And so he continues to say, I'm the one God sent to connect you with God. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, representing myself, but he sent me. Verse 43, he says, why don't you understand my speech? Why do you not, why aren't you on the same frequency? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You have no room in my heart to listen. And then this is where he gets out of control. And he says, verse 44, you are connected to the devil. Your father's the devil. And the desires of the father, of, of your father, you want to do. He is a murderer since the beginning and does not stand for truth because there's no truth in it. When he speaks, he speaks a lie. He speaks of his own resources. He's twisted for he's a liar and a father of all lies. And so our concentration is not to concern ourselves with the confusion of not understanding. But if we're going to be able to have genuine faith, let's go into understanding this man, Abraham. And we did a good job last week as we read Hebrews 11.8 where it talks about Abraham saying he, by faith, Abraham was called out to go to a place he obeyed. So the nature of following Abraham is to obey God when he calls you out, which he would receive an inheritance and went out like me 30 years ago, not knowing where he was going. You're 16 years old and God is calling and pulling on your heart's cords and you're like, what's this look like? Last summer, I found myself in my backyard telling God, I have to admit as I was not credible of your promises 30 years ago, I look around the landscape of my life and your promises have been fulfilled. You have brought me to a place of peace and of joy and of provision and of great purpose. Now, 30 years ago, it was insane. Uh, my best friend Carlos is here. He saw me pick up and leave. And I told him, Carlos, if I continue the way I'm going, it's not going to be pretty. Because a selfish person is consumed by his selfishness. And I knew that I was walking according to the appetite of my lust and pleasures. But, but that cross there allows you to deny yourself. That's the greatest gift Jesus gives us. Take up my cross, deny yourself, and follow me. You can't follow Jesus without denying self. So this man went out not knowing where he was going. And 
So that, that is the feeling we have when Jesus comes to our lives. We don't know where he's taking us. Uh, but he says in verse 9 that he could go in this direction and he dwelt in the land of promises. So for the better part of my Christian life, the only thing I had were the promises of God. That he would bring me a great wife. I would have a great future. Um, I love Jeremiah 29, 11. This is, this is the type of promises I heard back then 30 years ago. We'll read this. I know the thoughts that I think towards you. They're thoughts of peace and not evil to give you a future and a hope. That sounds like a good promise. We could trust God that is thinking about our future with prosperity and, and a hope. So they weren't promises fulfilled at that time, but they were promises nonetheless. And, and as the Bible says in Hebrews 11:9 that Abraham dwelt a long time in this land of promises or the promised land and dwelt in tabernacles. One of the things of following the Lord is you can't hunker down and be entrenched. You're going to dwell in temporary dwelling places as he takes you in the direction of his purpose. And so verse 10 says, because he wanted his life to be put together by God. He walked in this direction because he wanted to live in a city whose foundations, that's what God laid for the better part of 15 years, 20 years in my life, principles, uh, fundamental aspects to build your life and make decisions and priorities. And he built our lives and he's a maker of our lives. So these things are put together by God as he lays foundations. So if you're looking for God to put your life together, you can, you can begin to walk in his direction. Um, we traveled a lot. I'm not going to repeat everything we, we touched upon last week. But we'll begin there in James chapter 2 verse 23. Having a faith according to Abraham's faith is you become a friend of God. The scriptures came to pass which say that Abraham decided to put his heart in God's direction. And when he did that, God gave them the thumbs up, righteousness. And he began to have a reputation. This guy is God's friend. Now, God doesn't give you a choice whether you're going to be a friend or not. Because he says, you're either with me or you're against me. You're either... My friend or you're the world's friend. And the world talks about the philosophy of man set against God. And when you see these verses, um, he tells you if the love of the world is in your heart, which it becomes a travesty, it becomes a, um, it becomes a dilemma because we're here in the world. And 1 John 2.15, he says, do not set your affection. If you're going to be God's friend, you can't be the world's friend. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, he cannot. The love of the Father is not in him. And so all throughout the Bible, when somebody decides to put their affections in the world, you'll see Jesus call them hypocrites double-minded, double, uh, double-faced, double and adulterers. That means they're having relationship with someone else and not with God. So we, we heard that on Sunday, that we take the, the blessings of God, the wealth of God, we take the resilience of God, the, everything God bestows, and then we go over like the prodigal son, and we live in prodigal living. We end up eating with pigs and finding out that we're not doing good 
with our Father. So we return to the Father's heart and say, teach me again. I, I want to have a faithful character. And, and so friend, um, I love the word friend. I, I was known in my house to have anywhere from four to 15 friends over at the same time. And so very friendly, but many times partnering with the wrong people up until I become a Christian. And then just like everything in my life, Jesus has to define reality. In John chapter 15, verse 15, this is the definition of a true friend. When Jesus tells his disciples, I no longer call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all the things that my father wants me to do, I share with you. That's what a friend is. A friend gives you the thumbs up to honor your parents. I had a lot of guys that would invite me to do things that did not honor my parents and did not bring joy to my father's heart or to my mom's heart or to my home. And that's not a friend. Um, in fact, we all have worldly friends that say, you know something, um, come on and let's go have a six pack, let's go have a drink. And you're like, no, you know, I'll have a refreshment. Well, I'm not going to pay you a refreshment. I'll pay you for some booze. We'll get plastered and wasted together, but I'm not going to be a part of what is right, righteous. So Jesus brings the framework of the definition of what a true friend is when you can say all the things that my, I've heard my father speak to my heart. I've made them known to you, and you guys have stayed. Some people you'll share truth with, and they want to run from you. You share your calling with, and they don't want to be a friend. Um, if you bring a six-pack to a party, the door's open, you're invited in. I, I promise you, try to bring a Bible next time to that party. And you'll see how they're like... Um, mm, 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 mm. Um, and one time we were, we were at this place and everybody was there and, and I opened up the Bible and all of a sudden, I got to go to the bathroom, I got to go to the kitchen, I got to go to the backyard. I was sitting there alone in, in a chair and you so see you the light turns and the cockroaches run. Light turns on and cockroaches run. So Jesus says a true friend is able to listen to a father's heart and say, you know, Joaquin, we should come home early. We should, we should not lie. We should not cheat. We should not steal. We should not be trickery. We shouldn't be rebellious and disobedient. That's not a friend. Um, we have many of those in our lifetime that would rather us not be in church, that would rather us not read the Bible, that would rather us not to listen to God and follow Him and fulfill God's pleasure in our lives. So there it is, James chapter 2, verse 23. One of the material, genuine cornerstones of true faith is that you're known to be a friend of God. And a friend, I can tell you, um, there's been no greater friend than Jesus Christ in my life. No more real person in my life. In fact, the day I got married to Yvette, I wanted him to be my best man because he found for me my best wife. And, and I wanted to honor him in that regards. And he's been with me every day for 30 years. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365. Um, he's never left me. And so we, we have sent, we, we could sing that song today. You, you, you worship team, get that, those chords ready to say, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. And um, a Cuban guy, no, it wasn't Cuban, it was a Colombian guy. I went to Colombia and he was singing the song in English and he was saying, I am afraid of God. I am afraid of God. 
I said, no, my friend is not, I'm afraid of God, is I am a friend of God. And, and so he didn't understand English, so that's why he was singing it wrong. But you're not to be afraid of God. And that's one of the things I've learned in the last 30 years, that he is a true friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I praise God for that. Paul comes around in the New Testament and he tells these people in Galatians, which is a, a Greek city, um, and he tells them, listen, it's important, Galatians 3, 7, that you understand that you are offspring. You, you who are of the faith are sons of Abraham. The word son means you walk in the character of your father. So being a son of Abraham means that you're walking like Abraham walked. That was the contention back in the book of John chapter 8. Verse 27, he tells them again, Galatians 3, 27, he says, Understand, for as many as of you that are being baptized and coming into Christ have put on Christ and have walked in the premise of, of your father, uh, Abraham. Um, we see the record of Abraham was not someone who grew up in faith. In Genesis chapter 11, the Bible says in verse 28 that he was from the city of Ur. Uh, people that don't understand Ur and the surrounding cities of Mesopotamia, situated next to the Euphrates River in the Persian Gulf, where modern-day Baghdad is, um, these were the center of civilization. This, when we see Ur of the Chaldeans, we're like, man, where is that? That's in no man's land. Let me tell you something. This was New York City in Bible times. This is where commerce and trade, this was the center of the, of the route of those who were influential. And so it would be like mentioning New York to Kansas City, I mean to Chicago to Kansas City to Nevada to California. They were commerce right routes where there was big business being employed and there uh, God has no no problem in Isaiah 51 2 it says when I called Abraham out he was but one person he says verse 2 look to Abraham your father and Sarah this is Isaiah 500 years before Jesus for I called him alone this was this was a big situation with God calling me out 30 years ago because amongst all my friends and my cousins and my family members um, God hey got a plan for your life I'm putting you aside and not only did he call Abraham alone but he blessed him and increased him this is God's prosperity plan God wants to bring him into purpose and so Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 starts out that story he brings him out and says the Lord said to Abram this is the first this is this is day one get out of your country come out of your culture come out of of the people that are surrounded in your in your situation um, some of you have incredible encouragement in the next words that I'm gonna say ready for this he was 75 years old when God told him this some of you think that you've lived life large already. You haven't even begun, my friend. Life begins when you start doing the will of God. And Abraham is 75. So almost as if God has to wait. In the life of Moses, it was 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the desert, and the Lord appears to Moses and says, Hey, buddy, 
uh, you want to do it my way now? 80 years old. And at 80, you're pretty much saying, I have no other ideas. I have no other things to do. So why not? So Abraham is 75. And I'm, I'm 47. So I got another 30 years to practice on this thing. Come out from what you're familiar with. Come out from your family. Listen to me. Family is a great blessing, but it also becomes a great curse. I'll tell you why. I was in Ecuador, and a little old lady who was 80 years old came up to me, and she says, excuse me, pastor, can you pray for my baby? And I'm like, holy mackerel, this lady's 80, and she has a baby. Excuse me, ma'am, how old is your baby? He's 60 years old. And that's when family becomes a curse, when they think that you're going to be the perpetual baby in the house. But God sees you as a man from the age of 12. And he's ready to entrust you like Jesus who was about the father's business. They said, what are you doing here? He says, I need to be about the father's business. I'm not going to play Nintendo all my life. I'm going to listen to God and do his pleasure. So come out of your family. Come out from your father's house. I'm going to, I'm going to show you how to live not like you have seen your father. That becomes another travesty. And I'm going to give you a land that I will show you. Uh, Kenny Luck says that whenever God calls a man, he gives him a land. I'm waiting for that to happen. I'm waiting for a huge land. So all of Miami comes and worships the true God of Israel. Amen. There's too many people in Miami that are going around with coconuts and honey and serving African gods. Santeria, Espiritismo. Brujeria. You could go to any corner in Miami and you, not the northern tourist, but you will be familiar with a little Sedano's bag and a dead chicken at the crossroads of Miami's avenues. Because they would have been sent there by a witch doctor called El Padrino or La Madrina. And you'll be surprised at the amount of people in this town that are serving Satan and demons and witchcraft and doing all sorts of things. We said it on Sunday. Almost every baby, Cuban baby born, will be put an asavach. I don't know what that is. But it's supposed to keep away the evil eye. And be good, uh, good uh, luck and, and keep you from mal de ojo. So this is what's familiar with Abraham's house. And that's why God tells him, you're not going to be able to serve me in this culture and climate. I'm going to give you a land where you will see. I will show you. Verse 2. Um, this is the words that start out. I will make you a great nation. One man, a great nation. In Bible times, there were men who did not want to listen to God. They rebelled. They created big cities. But they forsook their sons. And their daughters became prostitutes. And there wasn't family. Rebellion makes you to destroy family. Uh, disobedience. But... But the blessing of the Lord allows you not only to be a family, but a community, and from a community, a great nation. And this is God. I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. This is God speaking to him promises. And you hear these things, you freak out. You're like, why would God do this from one man? He's a, Isaiah 51 said, from one man, I blessed him and multiplied him. And so verse 3, he says like this. I will bless those who bless you, 
I will curse those who curse you. And because of you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You know, when you have uh, God's heart towards family, you can repeat these words to your wife. I'll never leave you, nor will I forsake you. I'll be with you to the last day. That, that is not only a blessing, but it is a possibility for those who have the heart of God. And so he told Abraham, you, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob are going to bless the nations because you guys will form a family that will be indestructible. To this day, Israel stands when other civilizations no longer exist because of their honor towards their patriarchs and their honor towards their moms and their sons have walked in the ways of the Lord. And my favorite verse of this chapter is not that God called Abraham, not that he spoke to Abraham, not that he gave him promises, not that they were huge, unbelievable promises, not that they were uh, the advancement of prosperity and the protection from curses, but my favorite part of this passage is verse 4, where the man Abraham decides to move in God's direction without controversy. Verse 4, and Abraham, there's ballet classes, by the way. Abraham departed as the Lord spoke to him. Abraham listened to God. Abraham was part of God's agenda. Listen to me. If it would have been in this time and age, it was, well, how is this going to happen? And I'm just little, and my dad never taught me, and my grandmother died, and my father, 50 million things. My favorite part of this passage is the man says, I want what you want, God. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to go in the direction you have spoken. So Abraham departed as the Lord spoke to him. What is your response when God speaks to you? I was just talking to George Smith in my office right before today and I say we surround ourselves with people says you're never going to you're not going to be able to your marriage is going to fail your kids are going to be delinquents you're, why, why surround yourself by uh, naysayers you're always nay you're not going to be a lawyer you're not going to be married you're not going to be a pastor you're not going to change the world your kids are going to be I want to hang out with people that say amen that's a good word for a Christian Amen says, God, what you said, let that happen. I love you guys that said amen right now. What you say, let that happen. I have plans. I have a future. I have a hope. I have destiny. I have a thought. Listen to what the Bible says. A thousand generations of blessings for those who obey God. A thousand. So way after I'm out of here, there's going to be some Molina upon the earth being radical for God. He departed. He went in God's direction. He said, amen, and he had a heart for his nephew. He took Lot with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he got that, that transaction. I love the word of God. I love it to be our meditation and for it to be our scrutiny. And when I first got saved, it was like Chinese. Didn't understand it. Didn't understand the words of the Lord. But if we chew on these words and we start trekking the men who did, we start following their footsteps. And I love verse 5 too because his wife decided to go with him. It's a good thing that your wife follow you to listen to God. And Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and his Lot, his brother's son, his nephew, 
and all the things they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired. They had employees and servants. They departed to go to the land of promise and they came to that land. I love the fact that God brings our wives with us. My greatest missionary trips is when I go with Yvette. I could be on the mission field forever. Now, when I'm without her, once 10 days go by, I start getting grouchy. And I start yelling at people. And they're like, why are you so... I said, because I miss my wife. I'm out here in the middle of this God-forbidden place. I want to go back home to be with my honey. And so, but when she's with me, I can stay out there for months. But here it is. God calls us to serve him. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. Here he goes on. It says in verse um, 6, Abraham passed through these lands to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth through the Morah, and the Canaanites were in the land. Verse 7. This, this is a powerful thing. I wish we had more time, but I'll be very brief. When the Lord appeared to Abraham. See, a lot of people say, well, God doesn't show up in my life like he showed up in Abraham's life. Well, maybe if you would have listened to him day one, and you walk in the direction of his counsel for your life, he'll show up down the road. But why would he talk to you twice if he already spoke to you once and you're not where you need to be? That's good preaching. You could say amen or ouch, however. If, people, if you're not listening to God at A, why? I tell people, listen, you learn how to add and subtract. You'll learn how to multiply and divide. And then if you're faithful there, you go on to algebra and calculus and quantum physics. But if you don't learn how to add and subtract, if you don't walk with God at the beginning, you're going to be lost. And then when they come with something that's deep in God, you're like, this is crazy. No, it's crazy for those people that are not trekking God. So he appeared to Abram and said, what I told you a while back when I first told you, I want to tell you a little bit more. This is for your descendants. I'll give these lands. And there. Very important, the next, the next verse. Listen to me. This is something that we haven't learned. Verse 7. This is something we haven't learned. When God is speaking to you, it's time to learn how to build an altar. A place of worship. It's time to learn how to honor the God of the heavens by having a physical marked out territory upon the earth that you can judge your faithfulness to. So people say, I don't need to go to church. I know you don't need to go to church because you're, you're, you're just a, you're a, what are those people in, in Russia that just, that they're just wanderers? Nomad. nomad. You're a nomad. You have no place where you acknowledge that God has been good to you. You can't pinpoint a place where God spoke to you. You don't bring your offerings, your tithe, your sacrifices to the place where you're having an exchange with God. So he says to your descendants, I'll give this. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now the word altar is, very, is a very um, unusual thing. I, I've had friends that have built altars to Satan. I've had friends in, in my lifetime it says, you know, I would think it would be cool like, to, to do like the Ouija board and to, to call upon these demons. That's great. That's fa fabulous. If you want these things to show up, go for it. But if you want God to show up, pinpoint to a place where you worship. Because an altar is a place of exchange. And this is, 
not my idea of an altar. This is a biblical reference. That at that place where he built an altar, there was an exchange between him and God. And, and those of us that can't point to an altar of faithfulness have serious issues. Serious issues. Because an altar is a place where there's ceremony, there's ritual, there's tradition, there's, there's surrender. The, the, the word, the biblical word in Hebrew of altar is a place of sacrifice. A place where you bear your soul. A place where you consider holy. Um, so some guys have tried to convince me, well, I could, I could, I could go get plastered in a, some bar and, and that's my altar. Well, listen to me. The Bible says that's the table of demons. That's where you transact with your destruction. But there is a holy place. There is a separated place and it's particular to you. Because it's a place where your heart acknowledges reverence and faithfulness to God. Just like where you go to work. I'd like for you to tell your boss, well, I'll just show up anytime. I'll, I'll just come whenever I feel like it. And I'll do whatever I feel like it. And I'll just go about and I'll acknowledge that that's my place of appointment. I guarantee you, you'll get a pink slip. I guarantee you, you can't take that attitude elsewhere. It's like having a home and a marriage where you say, well, sometimes I'll show up, sometimes I want. My friend, you will be divorced faster than your head will spin. Because you cannot have a lack of reverence in a sacred place. You can't treat it like a, like a Motel 8 where there's cheap exchange and you might get a pillowcase. Here, he built an altar to the Lord. And this is very foreign to us who never had an altar. I can't remember my grandmother having an altar. I can't remember um, my grandfather having an altar. I can't remember my uncles having altars. There was nowhere that they bowed and revered. Um, there were a funny places. They had other altars. Um, altars like in Psalm 115 verse 3 where... Let's go to Exodus 34 first, please. Exodus 34, 12. Watch yourself that you not become like the inhabitants of the lands where you're going. Because it will be a, tra uh, a, a snare to you. When you go to these places, verse 13, you're going to smash. Verse 13. You shall destroy their altars and break their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images. Why? Because some people don't want to worship the true God. They'll come over here and see an eagle and they'll say, you're going to be my God, okay? And I'll come and put a little candle there. I'll put an apple from time to time. I'll put, uh, if you're San Lazo, I'll put you a tobacco there. If you're Santa Barbara, I'll throw you some pennies. So they want an altar to the false god. And in my parents' room, there was a, a, a false god. There was a little statue. There was two of them. And, and we used to, like, grab its sword and, and, and hurt the idol. We, play, we thought they were G.I. Joe. But they were, they were idols taught to us by our parents. They were worshiping these things. Uh, Los marimberos, the drug traffickers, they said, as if our drug trafficking becomes successful, we will buy greater and greater Santa Barbara. So you have some of them had a seven foot tall idol and they would worship these things. You protect me. I'm going to go do a run from Colombia to Miami. And if I come back and be successful, I'll buy a bigger idol. See, these are false gods. And God says, you're going to tear down these. 
and you're going to smash them and cut them down. Verse 14, why? Because God doesn't want your worship to go to any other God, for he is a jealous God. If you don't understand that, ask your wife if you could have an affair from time to time. She's not going to have it. So Psalm 15, verse 3, 115, verse 3, David would write these things. He says, where is God? They ask me about where is my God. Our God is in heaven. He's not a little toy that you could play with and put under the Christmas tree once a year and pretend that you're worshiping Jesus. He is the one that does whatever he pleases. Verse 4. But their gods that they have idols, their, their idols are made out of silver and gold, the works of man's hands. They have mouth, but never tell those people what to do. They, have, uh, they don't speak. They have eyes, but they're not watching over these people. From time to time, these idols would fall down and spend weeks on their face. Fall backwards and land in the floor behind the counter. They have ears, but they do not hear. They have noses, but do not smell. They have the factions of hands that they do not handle. They have feet and they do not walk. They do not mutter with their throat. They'll never speak to you. They'll never give you a promise. Verse 8, those who make these idols will be like them. And so is everyone who trusts in them. I love Dr. Blass' testimony. Because Dr. Blass would come here for 10 years and he would never come into the house of God. He would drop off his wife, Mirta, who was a devout Christian woman, and he would stay outside on Sundays listening to baseball and W-I-O-D for hours, for months, for years, until he was diagnosed with cancer. At that point, my friend, you're going to want a real God who heals cancer. You're going to want to call out upon the name of the Lord. You're going to want to have an altar, a place of exchange with God, where God meets you and you meet God and you shout amen. And then you see the provisions of the Lord come. So when he asked his wife, what do I do now? What was her answer, Dr. Blass? Come inside because my God could heal you. And so he's here 10 years later praising God, serving God, loving God. But if he would have trust in W-I-O-D, he would be probably six foot under without having called upon the name of the Lord. And so there sometimes God will lead you in Judges 6.25 to say to your dad and to your mom, guess what, my friends? It's time to put away these false gods and start worshiping the true and living God. Judges 6.25, the historical context of Gideon now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull and the second bull, sacrifice, tear down the altars of Baal, or the altars of false gods, that your father has. Cut them down, the wooden images that is beside it. Get rid of your father's idol worship. This is what he told Gideon. You're not to worship false gods. You're to have an encounter with the true God. And so Abraham did so. And he builds an altar to the Lord. His grandson, Genesis chapter 28. Now we're not talking about Abraham or his son Isaac. Now we're moving to grandson. Listen to me. There, uh, the travesty is my grandfathers never had an altar to God. So 
We didn't have altars to the living God. And here in Genesis 28, verse 10, the grandson of Abraham, he's passing down his faith to his child Isaac and then to his grandson Jacob. He says, now Jacob went to Bathsheba and went to Haran, the same cities, and he came to a certain place and stayed there all night. Verse 11. Because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones that was in that place, he put his head on it, and he lied down to sleep. Verse 12. Then he had a dream, and he saw a ladder that went from the earth to the heavens. And in that ladder, there were angels of God's going up and angels of God's going down, the messengers of God. And this is, he's seen in a dream, a clear connection with God, if you will. Angels going up, angels coming down. The messengers of God bringing the provision of God. Thank God for the host of angels that serve men. Verse 14. No, I'm sorry, verse 13. When he woke up, behold, the Lord stood above it, the ladder, and said, I am the God of your grandfather. I am the God of your father. The land which you are stepping on, I have a promise to inherit or bestow upon you and your descendants. So God is giving him the promises of his grandfather and his father. And then he says, verse 14, your descendants will be great as the dust of the earth, promising future and prominence, prosperity, success. You shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, the north, and the south. And you and your seeds, in you and your seeds, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Listen to me. Genuine faith has to do with family. That's why we save marriages. That's why we, we wrote a book called What is a Man? To make strong husbands and fathers. We don't want no more wimps. We want men that are courageous to leave a legacy to their families. And so the grandson is receiving that instruction. Verse 15. Behold, I'm with you. And I will protect you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done all that I have spoken. Okay, God reveals himself to Abraham's seed. And when he wakes up, verse 16, he says these words. And you might wake up tonight and say these words. Surely the Lord is in this place. I didn't know it. Surely God has something to do with this place. And I was unaware. This is not, I told somebody, this is not the headquarters for the Republican Party. We're super conservative, but we're not. This is not the headquarters for the Democratic Party. Or you can't find how to invest in your portfolio and your hedge funds in this place. But you will hear from God. You will know God in this place. This is like the Ebola virus. If you stick around here, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. It'll consume you. I didn't know. I love Ephraim's testimony in the front row. Two months ago, he decided he would just come one night. Guess what? It's been two months. He's on fire for God. He wants God with all that's in his heart. He wants his daughters to have God, his grandchildren to have God. He's not going to negotiate the blessings of God. And so some days we wake up to this reality, and when God gives us a vision, and we can say, surely, it's not religion in this place. It's not some theological philosophy God is here and I wasn't aware of it verse 17 so what does he do in that place he was taken and said this place is awesome and this is nothing else but the house of God and a connection with heaven 
This is nothing else than the house of God. Uh, the word house means the family of God. Children of God. Those people that want to honor their father that is in heaven. They want to be faithful to him. If you go hang out at some other place, take measure with those people that are there because that's the character that you're made of. The Cuban people says, Dime con quien anda. And I'll tell you who you are. English people are a little bit more fair when they say birds of a feather flock together. If you're surrounded by unbelieving, cynical, atheist, God-hating people that don't have a place of altar, who don't bow their knees, who don't confess Jesus, don't find yourself in the place that God has prepared for those who fear him and love him and serve him. This is God. This is the gateway to heaven. This is, this is Jacob, Abraham's grandson, waking up to the reality that God is in that place. And he decides to be like Jacob. The word Jacob means tricker, one who is a cheater. And look at his cheating. This is powerful. Uh, verse 19 first. No, verse 18. Jacob rose up early in the morning. He took a stone and put it at his head. And he put up, set, up, set it up as a pillar. He's building an altar in that place. In the place where he heard from God, in the place he saw God, he saw the angels, in the place he heard God's voice, in the place where he got God's reality, he built a place called an altar, just like his grandfather had done. He poured oil upon it. There was a transaction with God, a place of surrender. He's saying, God, what you showed me, that's what I want. And I'm going to worship God in this place. So verse 19, we're trekking. He called that place Bethel. That word is called house of God. He wanted to be connected to the house of God, but the name of that city had been loose previously. It was defined now not by what he didn't know before that. Now it's defined as a place to abide with God. And so being a tricker, a cheater, um, I did the same thing the first day I accepted Christ. I said, if you can change me, I'll serve you. I was like, <laughs> you're not going to change me. There's no way you're going to change me. If you could tr change me, I'll serve you. You guys can tell what I'm doing right now. I'm serving God. Why? Because he changed me. And that's what Jacob said. In verse 20, he says, Lord, look at the conditions. And maybe you have conditions too. Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me, if he protects me wherever I go, and gives me bread to eat and clothes to wear, he's negotiating He's transacting, he's commercing with God. Verse 21. If you give me clothes, if you take me to good food, so that I am protected to come back to my father's house in peace and nothing happens to me and I'm alive and well, then you shall be my God. Then you'll be, listen to me. God doesn't have to do anything else for us after what he did on that cross for him to be God. He doesn't have to do anything else. The fact that we're alive is enough for him to be God. But here Jacob is saying, if I get the fringe benefits of you protecting me, you keeping me, you, you blessing me, you prospering me, you give me clothes, you give me a nice car would do, a nice house. If you give me some, then you'll be my God. Verse 22, look what he says. This next one's going to blow your mind. This stone which I have set here as an altar, as a pillar, shall be the God's house for me. This will mark the place where I transact with you. And of all 
that you give me, 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 I'll give you 10% back. Of all that I get, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. My name is Jimmy, 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 Jimmy. I'll return 10. For every $100 you give me, I'll give you 10 back. I just want to ask you a little question. How many want that deal with me? Every time I give you $100, you give me give 10 back. Cousin the banker. Is that a good deal? A 90% return? Right? Of all that God gives us, we're going to remember him 10% of the time. What do you do with, I told you he was a cheater. Nobody in their right mind would go into a business deal with a partner and they would at minimum go 50-50, right? Who would go into a deal 90-10? You give me $100, I'll bring you 10 back every time. You give me $1,000, i will bring you 100 back. You give me $10,000, I'm bringing 1000 I promise. And you're like, you know, you thief, shake her there because I'll go into it, God says. I'm willing for you to cheat me because I want a relationship with you. I'm willing to give you my son and you only come to church on Sunday for a misly a miserable hour and you think that you've done enough and God shakes his hand and that's a place of worship that's a place of honor what do you call a person that doesn't even give tenth the Bible calls him a thief he absconds there's a man in, in Texas and um, he couldn't be next to his wife and he told this man, listen, I want somebody to take care of my wife while I'm gone. So I'm going to send her, I'm going to send you $10,000 every month and you keep $9,000 and you give my wife $1,000. Because I need somebody to administer and take care of my wife. So I'm willing to bless somebody $9,000 a month, but you promise that you're going to give my wife $1,000. The guy gets the first $10,000 check, he goes and he cashes it, and he brings the wife $1,000. So the guy's happy. He says, man, this guy is faithful. The second year comes around, and he cashes the check, and he brings $500, and he keeps $500. So now he's $9,500 monthly, and the wife is getting $500. What would you do if somebody did that to your wife? The third year comes around and he gets $10,000 every month and he brings the wife $200 and he keeps $9,800. Fifth year comes around and he says, man, I wish I knew where that lady lived. <laughs> and he keeps $10,000 every month. How many in this house believe that that guy is going to fare well the day he needs to face that person and he realizes that he's kept the whole thing and that's what people do that's why we need to return to be honorable one of the, th the, the most, most incredible things about Abraham 
is that he wanted God's blessing above all. And we're going to see possibly next week that when the Lord says, give me your son, Isaac, he goes over to the altar and he places his son on the altar and he's about to kill him. And God says, you know something? Stop, Abraham. Now I know you're for real. Now I know that you're your heart is aligned with my heart. That's deep. We'll get into it next week. We want to finish today with this thing called an altar. God tells Jacob, you got a deal. I'll bless you and you can, you can start honoring me with the increase. In Genesis 35 verse 1, he gets away from God during the years. And God shows up, and he, says, he wants to pull. That happens to a lot of people. They forget where their altar is. They don't have an altar. They've drawn away. This is years later. And God said to Jacob, arise and go to Bethel and abide there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you and has kept you from the wrath of your brother. Verse 2. So Jacob knows God's not playing around, and Jacob says to his family, all of you, to all who are with him, put away your playing games with other gods that are amongst you, purify yourselves and start wearing the garments that please God. Verse 3. And they, uh, then let us arise and go up to Bethel. And there I will make an altar and renew my relationship with the God who answered me in the day of my distress. I want to honor that God. I want to serve that God. I want to please that God. I want to draw near. Because he answered me in the day of my distress... And he's been with me everywhere I've gone. Their response was pretty cool, verse 4. So his sons gave Jacob all their foreign gods, all their, in, all their distractions, which were in their hands and occupied their time. Their earrings to talk about the culture they lived in that were in their ears. They surrendered and they buried them under the terebinth tree that's in Shechem, verse 5. And they journeyed and... The terror of God was on the cities where they were around. Every demon fled, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Verse 6. So Jacob came to that place, Luz, that city, which is Bethel, the city his grandfather had instituted, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people that were with him, they, re we, they returned to the place of their worship. They returned to the place of their transaction with God. It's really powerful to see People forsake God to go out and look for other help. Isaiah 31, 1 says, Woe to those who run to other places for help. We want to go to the latest and the greatest for help. Woe to those who go to Egypt, a sign of the philosophy and the technology of this world. And they rely on the horses and trust in chariots because there are many, they are strong, and in horsemen because they're very strong intellectually, very strong, ably. But who do not look on the Holy One, nor do they seek the Lord. This, is, this has happened to me in my lifetime in a thousand ways. There's, there's a refuge that you could run to. There's people you could run to. There's places you could go. But there is no greater place than calling upon the name of the Lord. There is no greater strength, protection. And so those people that run in that direction. says like this. Verse 2. 
Yet he also is wise and will bring disaster and will not and will not call back his words, but will arise against these house of evildoers, people that place their confidence against the help of those who war in iniquity. Verse 3. Listen to the mindset of God. Now the Egyptians are men. The ways of this world are, are just to the extent of what man could do, but not God. You could go get help. My dad's a brain surgeon. You could get help. But what God can do is much more fascinating much more amazing their horses are flesh and not spirit and you have to rebuke a demon that's coming after you you're going to need the name of the lord when the lord stretches out his hand both he who helps will fall and he who is being helped will fall down they all will perish together verse 7 says for in that day every man will cast away his false god at that day you're going to have to run out and find a true and powerful God. Let's stand tonight. Let's ask the worship team to come forward. We're going to sing, I am a friend of God. I, I want you guys to, listen, my grandfather didn't talk to me about this. My, my uncles did not talk to this about me. My neighbors didn't talk to me about this stuff. What we're hearing tonight comes straight out of the word of God. Because we're pursuing God and his word. We're trying to connect with what God has for us. And if at all possible tonight. For you to consider. Where you worship God. And how serious. You consider it. If you consider. What the. The, the value of that. Far exceeds gold and silver. I, I, I've been. I've been asked. By large firms. Come and. We'll bless you. We'll take care of you and your family. We'll be like family. Guess what? Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. I've built an altar to God. I have a place where we come and pray. And God listens and he hears and he inclines his ear down to us. And you guys, we could sit here for the next 5, 15 years just talking about the miracles God has done in this place. The miracles God does in this place. Yo, come up here a second. This is one of the examples of what God does in this place. Yoah decides to come to church by invitation. Who invited you? Michelle Lingelman. A, a friend, Michelle Lingelman, from school or from work or from family or what? Just, so, okay, yeah. Okay. Friend uh, from, uh, from a friend. Friend of a friend. Friend of a friend invites him to come here. He's raised by? An atheist. We don't understand that language. That's the biggest curse upon the earth. That your father would not know God and love God and serve God. This man is a miracle. So how old were you when you came in here? I'll be 33 this year, so minus 3, 29-ish. 29, 30 years. He walks in to the house of God, and that day I'm not preaching. Probably that's why you got saved. <laughs> My son is preaching. And he hears language that must have sounded like French or Austrian or God knows what language. Could you share what happened that day? You brought your dad. Right, yeah. It was, we had been coming for a little while, right? But Nick was preaching that day. And yeah, we saw a, a firsthand example of 
what can happen when God is at the center of a family. So we got to see, you know, Nick, Joaquin, and Bobby Ding. You know, so you have three generations of men. Absolutely. You know, setting setting the bar, setting an example. And I told them I had only seen that in movies. You know, I thought you had the white picket fence and you have the dog and you have the thing. And I had never seen that. I had to really think about families that I knew that were not divorced. And again, you had three generations deep standing here preaching and you could see they're they're transparent. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and there was there was transparency, there was genuineness. Um and, and you could see that it was real, that it's not fluff, it's not make-believe. And that's when I realized that that was a possibility for my life. And that's, that's why we're still here. Hallelujah! Thank you, sir. This is, this is listen, it's priceless. It's priceless. Your son, Gio, what a champion. How old is he? Five. Bold, athletic, strong, confident. Mom came home. Mom came home, right? Mom came home. Strengthening their marriage, strengthening their family, giving them a hope, not being another statistic in Miami, not pursuing the, the dazzle and the... I, I still haven't finished this thing with altars. Maybe we get one of the teachers, Julieta, to, to give us a class on what an altar is so that we all have a place to call upon the name of the Lord. What does it mean? Now, some of you guys don't understand. We, we try to keep reverence in this house, and, but at the same time, the confidence of, of family. You know, when you have your grandsons and your nephews and nieces, you know, running around the house you don't keep the formality and the protocol of the house because the children are there but there should be honor in this place there should be an acknowledgement of of god's goodness and faithfulness there should be reverence that my, my notes say that that um an altar is a place to connect with god an altar is a place to to exchange to meet with god to surrender to, to be accounted, uh, you know, have, render accounts. Lord, you know, I didn't do so good this week. I'm going to do better next week. Lord, I heard your voice, and I want to line my heart up with your heart. I, and so that transaction, you're not going to be able to do it just anywhere. That's a lie. And, and you know where your children will follow? Where you worship and serve God. So if you're all over the place, you're making a joke and a mockery of God. If there is no presentation... If there is no surrender, if there's no exchange, we're, we're, just, we're, we're, we're as false as those followers in the times of Jesus that says, we're connected to Abraham. Why are you bugging us? And he says, no, you're connected to the devil because the devil is the one that was doing his own thing. Lucifer was the one that lifted his throne above God's throne and did his own thing and called his own shots. But we sing tonight, I am a friend of God, and, and I wish that your heart tonight would yearn to be hungry for righteousness and thirst. This is, this is not my heart. Trust me, with respect to... Um, a lot of people want to come to church to build an altar to the pastor or to this spring of life or to Christianity or to a faith or a denomination. I'm not talking about that tonight. I'm talking about you be connected with God and we're seeing 
the legacy of men who, who did. When God would speak, they would line up. When God would call them, they return. And they always were close to the altar of God because they knew that that was their lifeline. When they began to drift off to be like the other nations, God called them back. Don't, don't be going there because then you're going to get the, the retributions of the people that live without refuge, without God. Self-righteous people want to present before the Lord's altar something they do right. The Bible says that nothing we could present in the altar of the Lord will be able to take the place of His Son. To try and bring anything other, other than what Jesus did on the cross. He says, I am the Lamb of God. The lambs were placed upon the altar. It was sacrificed. And it would come up before God as a pleasing fragrance. That's why they would, that's why they would offer oxens and all types of sacrifices. They were saying, you know, David was the, the, the champion of all times. If you read the Old Testament, he would bring 2,000 bulls. It's like bringing like half your fortune and saying, God, this, you're blessing me. You've prospered me. When I was a little shepherd boy, now you made me keen. So when he was keen, he would like sacrifice 2,000 bulls. And what replaced anything that we might offer upon the altar is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. So you have an altar where you approach, the Bible says we come confidently because of the blood of the Lamb. You don't have to do anything. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. And it gives you the ability to come in Jesus' name. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. And offer to God him, His Son. And every time we come to the altar and we're transacting with God, we carry the Son. We say, Lord, what Jesus did on the cross is sufficient for my healing. What Jesus did on the cross is sufficient for my prosperity and blessing. What Jesus did on the cross will forgive my sins. So we have the perfect sacrifice. The only thing we need to find is a place that you take serious that you can offer what he's given so that you can transact in authenticity. We had a 25-year-old young man who came to our retreat in Lake Worth last week when we did a men's conference. He, he's like six foot four, 350 pounds. Just, his name is Albert. I remember him because in my thoughts, I said, I'll never forget his name because I remember Fat Albert. And he'll remind me always. He's a huge guy, a skull about this big. And he says, Joaquin, my father didn't teach me about God. And my mother's Christianity is a joke. This is what he says. And he says, I want to find a place of authenticity and legitimacy where I can serve God as he's worthy to serve. And so I thought that was awesome. He's 25 years old. He could be doing a million other things, but he wants to find a place where he could interact and transact and serve God faithfully. And I pray that after tonight, you seriously consider not playing with God. And that you seriously consider and think about the Lamb of God. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for April 22nd. Thank you for a day we heard about Abraham and his altars and his grandchildren's altars and his worship. Thank you for Jesus Christ, who's the great and living, powerful, eternal sacrifice. We don't need to bring chickens and goats. We don't need to bring frog legs and cattails. The Lamb of God died. And this altar represents that place of transaction and surrender, that place of coming before God and knowing that he hears us 
And your word says if he hears us, we have what we're praying for. I pray, Lord, that this place would be a genuine place where our sons and our grandsons and meet and are able to talk with God and feel his presence and hear his voice and walk in his ways like Abraham. Give us a tender heart. Remove the heart of stone. Remove an unbelieving heart. Only you can do that, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so we're not orphans anymore. So we know we have a Father in heaven who's taking care of us, that our heart is not turned against him. Father, you say in your word that we not have an evil heart of unbelief to turn away from the living God, but that we might surrender and bow down and acknowledge that you are Lord, that we need you, and that you're the source of everything that makes us whole. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word that's a lamp unto our feet. Thank you for a gathering of those who have been walking in your ways for a long time. Thank you for the miracles, the signs and the wonders that will follow. Just like it happened to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And in them all the families of the earth were blessed. Allow the fire in this altar never to go down. Revive our spirits, revive our hearts that we know that your word is true, that your coming is imminent, and that we be found righteous in the faith that we have been delivered, that we have received from our forefathers. In Jesus' name we pray. The house of God says amen. <laughs> Greet each other in the love of the Lord. Those of you that are going to the trip on Friday and Saturday, you can talk.